this is not the time uh, as a filmmaker to to try to copy something you've seen or you know follow in someone else's path it's there's so many paths that uh, like I said at the beginning of this that I feel like the best thing you could do is just live a really interesting life and have your work reflect that as much as possible and the more it doesn't seem like anyone else's stuff the bigger chance you have to stand out Hi, and welcome to Drinking with Creatives, where we drown journalists of responsibility in a pool of vodka. My name is Jeremy Berger, a filmmaker and senior editor. And each week I chat with a professional creative and we have a few drinks. Sean Dunn is a filmmaker and multidimensional artist in Brooklyn. He broke out with 2011's American Juggalo, a documentary taking an intimate look into the oft-misunderstood Juggalo culture and the people who thrive in it. Since then, he has gone on to make the features Oxiana and Cam Girls, as well as other shorts like Sweet Nothing, Black Bike Week, and Florida Man, to name a few. I've been looking forward to talking to Sean for a very long time, so please, enjoy. Yeah, yeah, it's going pretty good. It's, um, I mean, we're starting to see stuff get back to normal a little bit, but I think we're also starting to see like the creeping symptoms of what all this isolation has done to us and the insecurity and the uncertainty. Um, I don't know, we're just like now testing the waters of socializing again, just seeing how um, how beautiful and innocent, but also a little awkward it is <laughs> to do life again. So, I got to uh, tell you, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with people that I haven't seen uh, socially in a while, and I'll come up and, I'll, and like, I'll see them and start talking to them. And then about two sentences in, my mind goes completely blank. I yep. don't know what I'm talking about. It's like I, I'm, I'm suffering from a form of social anxiety I've never had to do before. And mm. all I can do is just ask questions. Yeah, man. Yo, that's actually a really good observation mm -hmm. uh, that I've been noticing too is uh, we'll hang out with people and there's a lot more. And it's not that awkward, but just like long pauses, pauses in silence. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, I do think it's that like we're so not used to right now just that like snappy, like quick conversation thing, you know, like we've all been so out of the game for a minute. I notice people slowing down a little bit more, not minding sitting there like, cool, we're all gonna just take a breath right now. No one needs to fill the air with anything. So it's a new paradigm. Yeah, being comfortable with silence is something that I've never had to be used to before. And now it's going to be an interesting experience uh, being used to it in the future because I don't see it ending anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. First question, most important question, what are you drinking? I'm drinking water right now. I'm not much of a, an alcohol drinker. I have a fat joint in my mouth and I'm drinking water. And, uh, you know, if anything, there's a couple of little drops of acid in there. Real fun one. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, I feel really good about that because I just like an hour ago got my second vaccine shot. So I'm drinking coffee and water tonight. This is the non-alcoholic. Yes, folks, there is one episode. Non-alcoholic drinking with creatives tonight. I'm uh, still out of my mind. It's okay. <laughs> oh no no oh yeah yeah no I'm 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 mad you know mad as a hatter, uh so please Sean before we get further let's uh please tell everybody who you are and where we can find you. Um, I'm Sean Don. I'm a, a an artist, a multi-dimensional artist. Um, we make podcasts. Me and my partner Cass. She um we make films together. She produces them. I direct them. All those can be seen on veryape.tv, V-E-R-Y-A-P-E.tv. And uh, we make podcasts, we make radio shows, we um, make films, like I said. And lately, the main project for the past couple of years has been community building and just building a network of, uh, of like-minded artist homies who all have each other back, have each other's backs, and we hold each other accountable. So That's uh, interesting. Yeah. What do you mean by holding yourselves accountable? Um, it, like I said about like not really living your life through the lens of productivity, but more like what inspires me, like what inspires me to write a song. And um, we have a community of people that are, are really inspired, but I think felt isolated. And now that we all know each other, it feels like, like a mycelial, it feels like mycelium, like in a mushroom, just like spreading out. And um, yeah, I think we hold each other accountable by not letting anyone wallow in self-victimization. We don't let, it seems like bad stories when, there, when there's more people um, in solidarity doing art together and talking about art every day, like we all do. It's like 200 of us in this Discord server. Um, it, I, it's, you just see less of a propensity for somebody to fall into that 
self-hatred, those the wallowing and um, low frequencies and in victim stories. Uh, so I think that's the accountability thing. And 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 here's what I, I can only speak from my perspective mm -hmm. is I know I don't want to wallow in those stories because I talk to these people every day. And that's not that good of a story. And then it becomes muscle memory. And uh, you can really get into a flow with the community where everyone individually is pr producing their art, but then the community as a whole becomes art. If that makes any sense. So uh, that's, that's really what we're working on. That's fantastic. I, I can't wait to see and hear more about that. Yeah. I'll send you an invite to our, uh, our discord. Uh, it's for the church of chill. That's um. Church which of is, chill is our, our which is uh, also our uh, i saw that briefly on your vimeo page the church of chill is yeah. it is that specifically what that is or is church it of chill was uh it started as just like a silly thing it was just the name of one of our podcast episodes and i thought it was such a, a cool name that i was like yo i'm the church of chill people get around me and you know they get around me and cast and they want to chill out like that's the space we hold so we just started saying church of chill and then um next thing you know we uh we were just like, let's put out a weekly radio thing, like an hour or two hours of music that people can just chill to where they don't have to pick the songs. They don't even know what the songs are. Like it, it, you have no control of it, just chill out. And kind of like churches, it's like, just just chill out and take your medicine. This is good for you. Like, so uh, yeah, we started putting that out once a week and then it kind of transcended being a radio show and more became a vibe that people tap into because we all have it in us. Mm. But um, we just kind of, made a symbol for the reminder to tap into your chillness at any given moment people become a vessel for their chillness and it spreads so um that's kind of the umbrella under which all of our stuff operates now you know it feels like the podcast is under the church of chill and the films are under the church of chill and the community is under that umbrella and uh it's way bigger than Cass and i at this point and we don't have any control over it nor do we even want to so we just put good music out into the mix surrender to the chill Pretty much, man. That's good. That ought, that ought to be on our next shirt. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, God, I made it onto a shirt. I made yeah, it someplace in life. Fantastic. Well, let's jump into the films uh, for a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, I, like so many others, uh, first became aware of you and your work, because it was not your first work by any means the imagination, with, of course, American Juggalo. Yeah. Uh, which I feel like I, I don't really like I, I feel in the time it's it's been several years and, it's, and people have been already picking at you about that for uh, years and years and years but when I take a look at that and I took a look at your two features being uh, Oxiana as well as Cam Girls mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious about your approach and and for anyone listening Cam Girls dives into the world of you know uh, uh, webcam women, sex workers web, webcam sex workers and then oxiana is a take a look at a town crumbling uh under the weight of an opioid addiction mm -hmm. um i'm curious about your approach to access because these all seem and even uh even american juggalo seemed like a point where you could have been turned away at any time <laughs> yeah it's so funny that you bring that up because we made that 10 years ago and we really didn't know what we were doing that that was when you talk about access, that was the first film that, uh, I mean, every documentary that, that, that should be in the, if you're making a film, a, a documentary in the forefront of your mind is, it should be access because that's what you're, that's what you're bringing to the table that the audience isn't. That's the thing that you got to that they couldn't, and you're bringing them a monument to that. You're, you've essentialized this person or this group or whatever, mm -hmm. but uh, American Juggalo was the first time we went towards one that wasn't just um, like a film about a guy. Like, like something we could go make in a day, right. you know, and just interview somebody. Like the films I made before American Juggalo were almost practice for that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, American Juggalo started as just like that, just the idea of a name. I just thought that was a really funny name, American Juggalo. And it was like, what would that look like? And I started thinking about um, the movie Heavy, Heavy Metal Parking Lots. Yes. And I love yes. that film. Wonderful. Yeah. And ju just simple. Just, just like the, just the simple joy of that 16 minute film from the mid eighties in a goddamn Judas priest parking lot. It's just like such, I want to bring simple kind of joys like that. And also, um, you know, that that's when it started to really kind of creep into my consciousness that these films could be a vehicle for heart expansion in a way that people could see themselves in um, the people that they've otherized the most. So, um, to, to go towards the juggalos, like that's, uh, you know, they're the fringiest of fringe that I know of. 
real quick can i speak to that point directly yeah please uh, i passed that movie around i was working at nbc at the time um and i passed it around to everybody in my division i was like you guys got to watch this and <laughs> my friend eric comes up to me literally runtime of the film plus two minute walk from one side of the office to the to the to my to my side of it later and goes you don't understand i go to every fish show i can <laughs> I met every single one of those people. They yep. might not be the human beings, but they are there. Yep, and I said exactly. to myself, oh my God, are, are, are we all juggalos? I think Dude, we might that's all be what juggalos. This movie, that's what this movie's about. That, like, is, and, and, you know, some people have the opposite response, but it's just because they're not ready yet. Like, I get a lot of comments on that movie. Like, they should drop a nuclear bomb on this place. Like, Jesus. get rid of it. Yeah, man. Like, harsh judgment. Because people don't want to recognize that freaky side of themselves they've 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 become so uh, untethered from that part of themselves that they can't see themselves in it so they judge it harshly but really they're jealous but um the people that react like your friend did and like you did and the way we did when we stepped foot in there before we even rolled one frame i was like holy shit i'm a fucking juggalo i kind of came here as tongue in cheek a little bit and the second i got there and got around the vibe um yeah, I was like, I'm a juggalo. But it's so funny that you mentioned access because I hadn't thought about this story in so long. I don't even know if I've ever told it, but we got in there and um, like we're, we're pulling up in a white cargo van full of equip equipment and a crew. There's seven of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just pulled up to the gathering of the juggalo, the juggalos, no tickets, nothing. Just drove in the front fence, drove past the stage, drove to the backstage area, parked our car right next to the insane clown pussy, pussy tour bus. And we're like, whoa, this is going to be nice. No one's paying attention to anything here. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, someone comes running towards us like, who the fuck are you people? Oh, geez. What are you doing? We started explaining ourselves. They're like, get the fuck out of here. Like, go be like a normal person and buy tickets to this thing. And like, I don't know. Like, we can't help you. And I was like, holy shit. This is a, I'm about to spend like, I have to spend like fucking $5,000 to get all these people in here right now. What the hell? Oh. So like we, we pull out of the gate. We go to the ticket counter and I told the ticket person we're here to make a movie. And I kind of like use a little couple Jedi mind tricks on her. And she, before I knew it, was just issuing me badges with for no charge media badges. And it was funny because um, the, the, the access was there and there were other people there shooting, but I don't know who they, they were with like MTV or, or whatever. And they're there to make a joke out of it. And they all stay huddled in this little media area. We never even went in the media area. They all stay huddled like in the stage area and pointed their cameras at the stage. And I'm like, the real, I told my crew right away, I said, you're never to point your camera at the stage. I don't care who's playing here. I don't give a fuck about this music. I don't, I don't care about it. I want the people here. So we were just going into the crevices of that place. And uh, it was great. I just, I brought a couple friends with me that really helped. They were just there for fun. Mm -hmm. and they would just go off and have an adventure and come back like 20 minutes later and be like, I found a pocket of people and they want to be in the movie. So <laughs> we'd go there and then just went around and everyone signed releases. Like we were super official on that one. But um, yeah, the access was, was almost, it was almost too easy. It was like literally we would take out the equipment and people would start uh, buzzing around us. Like, what are you guys doing? And when they realized we were, when, when they realized we weren't with any mainstream media and that we we're independent, they gave us gold, but they wouldn't even talk to anyone that was associated with mainstream media. So it was it was interesting. They they do they they do understand how they're depicted and how uh, how much of a joke this could come off as, and and they're down with most of that. But the, the way that the media depicts them is is so over the over the top that uh, I think we were, we did them a little bit of a favor. <laughs> was there ever any like official uh, response from Insane Clown Posse about the documentary? Um, not officially, but they, I, I, people sent, hadn't sent me clips. Like they get, they, especially when it first came out, they got asked about it a lot and they were like, oh yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Like they, you know, to them, it was just like, whatever they're, they're like, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. Whatever. They know, they know what the jugglers are all about, but yeah, we never really heard from them officially or anything like that. It's coming up on 10 years since we put that out. So incredible. Maybe we will. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's talk about cam girls for a second and also sure. in the, in the, in the vein of access, because I was shocked at the level of it that you had, because if you want to talk about people who like have a visceral need to stay protected, uh, their mm -hmm. identities, like, you know, doxing, 
doxing is always wrong, but doxing a politician okay. and doxing a sex worker are two completely different things with different levels of victimhood Absolutely. attached to it. How yep. did you approach that? Because that had to be, I would imagine, uh, rough waters. Yeah, that was actually probably of all the movies, now that I think about it, even Oxiana and, and those things, um, it was probably the toughest one with access. It was like, how do you break? Because these girls get contacted all the time by weirdos who are trying every angle to find out more about them. And like, they're rightfully suspicious. So it was hard to break through. But it basically all started by um, uh, we, we made friends with um, this cam girl named Sophia Locke, who had just taken it to another level. And she was hosting something called Cam Mansion, where she would get a bunch of girls together, and they would all produce content for a week together. And then, you know, all help each other build up their followings and everything. So we got in with her and she just vouched for us. And uh, we went to Vegas and shot like, um, we shot with like 10 girls when she was doing her Cam Mansion event. And, um, everybody was was so good. We just came back with that. We came back with like a week's worth of footage and cut together a trailer. And when we put up the trailer, then the thing cast itself basically through Twitter. The, it, the girls started, the, the girls that were in it passed it around and everyone saw how we were depicting them. And so, I mean, probably a hundred different cam girls contacted us. We probably filmed with 50 of them and then maybe 20 or 30 made it into the movie. So uh, we ended up getting so much access, but there was, a, there was a, a moment where it was a little touch and go and it was, it was just about establishing trust with the community. I don't think that's a thing in the forefront of a lot of filmmakers' minds right now. I think the way that films are made now are a, a little formulaic and they're they're produced to as content and they're produced to commandeer people's time and they're not they're not meant to uh, you know expand your circle of compassion the way our films are so I think that those girls get it and they taught us so much like that was a rite of passage in in Casanar's lives they, they taught us so much about psychedelics and um, polyamory and just how to live a more free life how to not care what people think about you because they can't because people think very 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 harshly about them same thing with the juggalos um so you know you learn from them you, you like they they have it tough but they've figured out how to um approach their life with grace and dignity in in the way that most people that have nine to five jobs don't bother to because they've checked that box people society approves of them so they don't have to do that inner work to really figure out who they are and i feel like the cam girls do so that was what was so interesting about that movie to me is just seeing all these people really proud of what they do and um, being able to become financially independent and taking this just beyond like the, you know, the sexual like titillating part of, of, of sex work and more into like the deep, like, here's what this has done for my life. Here's this has done for my soul. You know, here's what this has done for my, my financial outlook. I thought was more interesting than like, um, you know, you see like hot girls wanted or whatever. And it's just all about like bashing sex work and slut shaming. And it's just like terrible, terrible vibe to put out there into the world that, um, you know, just people that, uh, that don't know who the fuck they are. They make these movies as a cash grab and we don't make money off of our movies. <laughs> we lose money on our movies. So there's something, just, there's something pure about that. I think, you know, not that you always have to lose money on your movies, but the fact that we're not um, vying for the attention of any industry or film festivals or uh, reviewers or Netflix or anything like that. And we know a big audience will come to these movies if we just do them right and put them out there for free. It helps us. But yeah, like I'm saying, we learned this from them, like while we were making the movie. So what a beautiful experience, you know? Absolutely. And I believe towards the end of post-production on that, you also made uh, Florida Man yeah yeah that's uh yeah that was kind of like the balance because cam girls was you know we shot it all on sticks and it was like very pretty and beautiful and we mm -hmm. we had to really try to because of the way society views um the cam girls we had to try to shoot them in a way that really elevated them mm -hmm. um it so, is beautifully and, shot by the way i don't know if i mentioned yeah, that anybody listening yeah, just, they should absolutely go check this out it's, it's yeah and, and isaac bauman shot that and he's a brilliant cinematographer um I'm glad he would even step into the, the documentary world for us because it's not something he always does. But um, we were having a great collaboration and we loved making Cam Girls so much. We said, let's make something a little looser. Like, let's go, you know, we, we took some mushrooms with him one night and I, I told him uh, during the mushroom trip about this idea that I had for this movie, Florida Man, and he was so into it. So 
that night we decided we were going to do it while we were on mushrooms. The cast started producing it. And that film was just us um, drifting around Florida for 10 days, just kind of two days here, two days there, two days there. And uh, going out at six at night for four or five hours and uh, hanging out in Seven Eleven parking lots and seeing who would talk to us, who would come over to us, just hanging out in parking lots all over Florida and people drifting over to us. Um, so we, uh, yeah, we would go out from like six to 11 at night. Then we'd come home, smoke, eat, relax. And then we'd go out from like midnight till three in the morning and film a little more and just do that every day. And, uh, that movie was magical. I mean, I felt it coming together before our eyes to just basically say the only idea behind this movie is to go to Florida and talk to people and then see something that, that could um, serve as, as like something cinematic come out of that was like, it, it was, it was really cool for all of us. I, I think all of anyone involved with that movie, it was our favorite thing we've worked on in a way. Wonderful. Let's uh, circle back around because uh, I think we talked earlier about, uh, 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 you brought up the phrase earlier, the uh, canary in the mine. Yeah. Which uh, I don't know if you, if you knew this or not, but that was the definition of what an artist is by Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. uh you know uh once yeah. you see the, once you yep. see, see the canary dead everybody better pay attention something's going wrong and yeah. i've noticed in some of your work like oxiana came out i'm sorry was that 2013 yeah okay we wouldn't have a conversation about opioid ec- epidemic for another two to three years after that uh, um, and and when we when we put it out that people got so mad at us i'm talking about mainstream media was like what are you doing calling this an epidemic? I'm like, have you been anywhere in this country? You ever leave New York? Like, come on. So uh, yeah, it was interesting. We were definitely like, we get, people came down hard on us for even saying this was an epidemic or a problem. That's so interesting. And like, what, first of all, what drew you to that project and what, what made you want to explore it more? Um, well, I, gr- I grew up with my dad struggling with uh, prescription drug abuse and it's such a strange thing because it's like, uh, you know, you go to the doctor and you get a prescription and it's like, your, your, your doctor is making this worse. It's just just a very strange thing to grow up around and and to try to, it it was just very traumatizing in a lot of ways. Like my dad's cool now and he's mellowed out and everything. He's gotten a lot of help, but, uh, I just grew up around that. And I, I rolled through that town with a couple of friends very randomly and uh we spent a night there and we met a couple people and they started telling us about what was going on there and uh, i'm not even really thinking like oh this is gonna be a movie or anything it just became very clear while we were there like oh i have to explore this to kind of um it's very personal to me and, mm-hmm. and i feel like i can i can work through some of my traumas by making this and it it, it, it was one of those things um that I, I just felt like once I saw the people and kind of heard their issue, like, I don't know how to help besides make films. It's really the only thing I know how to do. So mm-hmm. I said, I could, I could come down here, maybe um, interview people and not experts, not people in fucking, you know, offices and, and cops and, you know, people pointing fingers, but people that are struggling, people that are in, the, in the shit and talking about what they have to do and, and how it is down there. So I felt like if we could amplify their voices, maybe they could get some help down there. Or maybe people around the world could see this and recognize um, the same trend in their town. Maybe they could do something about it. Maybe they could stop looking at addicts as the others and see them as like people that are really struggling and that, um, that have, they're struggling with disconnection really. And that we, we came across this town that had basically been, um, they, they, the coal miners in this country, like they kept the lights on for generations here. Mm-hmm. And once all the coal was sucked out of those mountains and, and those people, their labor exploited, they, the, the industry just turned their back on them and they left them sick and desperate and poor and with no sense of community, with no sense of purpose, and what's going to fill that void is drugs. And uh, there's a lot of money in that. So uh, it was just a really interesting thing to explore. I hadn't really seen anything like what we were setting out to make. So it felt important to make it. And uh, it was a tough one. That I mean, I still struggle with that. Like when I think about that movie, it's hard for me to watch that movie. It's so raw. 
Mm -hmm. um but i do think there's a beauty in it and there's a beauty in uh just the messages i hear from people that it helped them that they were struggling and they saw this and they saw it help so i mean the, the youtube comments on that film is is like um it, it's really heavy it's really heavy but but you get a taste of what it's really like out there for people and so yeah that that one it started as a very personal thing and uh grew into something where I, it helped me understand what, what this country is all about more. And I think uh, people, it, when people watch that and get that same reflection, like that was our job. That's what we needed to do. We needed to amplify the voices of the people that are struggling the worst in this country. And at that time it was them. So they were extremely generous with their honesty. And uh, it didn't really, we didn't have to twist anyone's arm to do anything for that movie. It was literally, again, just there with cameras. Word started to spread that we were there. People would talk to us and then tell their friends, it's really nice to talk to them. It's cathartic. It helps. And just one thing led to another. Did you experience catharsis by, uh, by the end of making this? Because it started oh. off very personal for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I completely changed over the course of making that movie. And um, it, it really it, it got into my heart, it, you know, from the, from making it and then really sitting in the in the edit. That was a long edit compared to what we normally do. That was like months long edits. So to sit with those stories every day and watch them over and over and say which one would be appropriate for the second act, which one would be appropriate for this. And like to really get in, there's a lot of tears in the edit room. And, mm -hmm. It just felt like uh, like a shedding of of the person I used to be, and stepping into manhood and adulthood, and having compassion for people, and not just talking about it, but really living it. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that that film woke me up in a lot of ways. I wanted to also talk about again in the vein of you kind of having your finger on the pulse of a couple of things as a 2016. Uh, Trump rally that you made a doc about. <laughs> yeah. And it seems, and I'm just making, and, and this is something I'm definitely making an observation about, and it's not necessarily a question. I'm just interested in your thoughts on the observation because I, I rewatched it again recently. And it occurred to me that the movie you made in 2016, the bits towards the end where everyone wants to get in and see uh, <laughs> President Trump could actually be intercut pretty realistically with the January 6th insurrection footage. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. You know, what's, what's so funny about making that movie is what motivated us to make that movie is it, we made that in January, 2016. And it was basically the result of us, of, of Trump, you know, surging in the polls, just destroying his competition in the, in the primary, but it, it still didn't seem like he would get the nomination but what I what I was noticing is all the media coverage of him. I was like, they're never talking to his supporters, which us being filmmakers already and traveling this country and talking to real people. I'm like, I know we know these kind of people, but they're not being depicted by the media. So let's let's see who's showing up to these rallies. Let's see what this movement's all about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we went there. I mean, the, uh, it was at a it was at a casino in Vegas and there was probably 10,000 people there for a room that held 1500. And I think they did that on purpose because. They like the spectacle. They like the like, oh man, we couldn't get in. But when people couldn't get in there, it's really telling to see what they became and how desperate and, and perturbed <laughs> mm. um, to, to see. Basically, there's, they're there to cheer on the building of a wall. Then they get caught on the other side of one of Trump's walls and they freak the fuck out. And that's a, the culminating moment of that movie is basically people freaking the fuck out. And uh, I got really close to Trump. I was two feet away from him filming at that rally. And there's people climbing all over me, climbing over me, trying to get things signed, trying to get his attention, whatever. And there, there's people around me freaking out. So that the film ends with like this crazy melee and people freaking out, people screaming, get me out of here, get me out of here. And that's like the last thing you see. And then I... I as we were leaving that day, I remember saying to Cass, like, whoa, I, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. I don't, I hope that, the, I don't think he's going to be president. I hope he's not. And Cass is like, he's going to win. She's like, this is the first time I realized that she's like, he's going to win. He's going to be our president. Oh. And I, that was early on to be thinking those kind of things. And uh, yeah, yeah, it came true. So once it came true that he became president, I was like, I don't know if this film is going to be obsolete years from now or some important remnant of this, this era. 
and it, it's still yet to be seen, but because um, there ended up being a lot of coverage of of those types of things afterwards. But ours was really innocent. Like I really wasn't going in there hating those people or judging them in any way. I I, I see the whole Trump movement as uh, you know a, a, a symptom of something a, a, a way bigger and a, a symptom of how we've just been duped for so long and how we'll, we we're so susceptible to that type of thing because of the capitalist system we live in and you know just this idea that we're, we're used to overlords and we're used to bosses and we wanted to elect someone president that was most well known for firing people on tv it just it said a lot about who we were and uh that's why we wanted to make it but yeah that was a gnarly one we made that one on our cell phones uh, in one day i flew to atlanta the next day edited it in two days and put it out by monday so we shot it on friday and had it out by monday and yeah it's a good act that was a good exercise for us to even see if we could make a movie like that incredible now talk to me what your editing process is like yeah I, well um, i'm I've, curious about it because like, there's so many elements that you have going on uh you know in your shorts where you land your, yourself in a position surrounded by multiple individuals engaged in multiple activities tell me about how you go to go about kind of building the architecture of this um, well, I work with the same editor, Kathy Gatto, who I met at History Channel years ago, probably, we probably met in 2003 or 2004, when we were both working at History Channel, and we hit it off, and she's edited everything I've done ever since, so uh, yeah, usually her and I will get together, and she's like the first person we call when we even have an idea for a movie, because like, she's so ride or die and understands and like she's she's just like besides cast like my deepest collaborator like we know each other so um when when we finish one i i go to her she usually has a good sense of what we were trying to do even when we went out shooting and but we watch every frame of what we shot together we make our selects and then we start the way i see it is like we put it together the way you would put together like a mixtape for somebody that you're like trying to seduce or like a dear friend or somebody that you really want to make feel better. And you kind of like, I, I just look at like each little bit as a song and then you're like, how would you follow that? Okay. we got to take it up a notch. All right. We need to take it into this territory. We need to switch the vibe now, or, you know, it's time to take it down a little bit, whatever. I just look at it as like, kind of like making a mixtape in a way. And it, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I hear other people talk about their editing process. Like it's torturous or whatever. To me, it's like the, the easiest part of the thing because I usually have the whole movie in my head and Kathy's so good and fast that she's beating me to things before I can even say out loud, like, here's how we should put that together. So we just, we, we put together a rough cut and then we just watch it, make notes, watch, make, make those adjustments, watch it again, make notes. And usually we'll do three or four passes like that before we're like, cool, yeah, I don't want to really change anything about this. And then we just, honor the artists that we are in that moment and say cool we're gonna we're gonna put this out and it's it's time for other people to project meaning on it. it's not ours anymore and um you know just just love and forgive the people that that made that thing and so we don't end up hating it years from now and just say this is a reflection of who we are now and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of all the movies and the way they've come out and the way they've been received and uh you know the, the way the way how kathy is so proud of them that you know she, she's got two kids and, and she's a little older than me and a little more advanced in her career and a very sought after editor and the fact that she loves these projects more than anything and will always you know clear her schedule to take me in for a couple of weeks i live with her family and we we slave over these things and we just we, we put them out when they're done we don't fuss over them i don't think of them as something that oh this needs this this belongs at a film festival this belongs on netflix this, you know, this is like this, this belongs to the people that's who made this you know those are the people we came across and were so generous to let us do this so let's let's get it back out there to the people so yeah the, i mean the, the editing process to me is the most important thing probably the footage that we go back to the edit room with is probably similar or the same to, to what most filmmakers uh, go back to the edit room with, but it's the way we put it together and what we decide to put in there and what we decide to take out. And it's always just about stripping away layers. It's almost about um, stripping away context. So, so this can be more of a blank slate. So it can be more of a, a, a blank canvas than you'd assume a film could be. Because a film, to me, usually, especially in documentary, it's a 
it's about holding someone's hand through an experience. And we, we like to like push people into the experience, like just push them into the deep end. They'll learn how to swim and, and don't assume, um, don't assume they're dumb. Don't, don't think about your audience and, and dumb down your work for, for like, you know, make the work you would want to see and then you'll find your people. And that that's, what's happened for us. So I don't know, that's, that's a long answer, but uh yeah the 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 edit is where is where all the magic happens for sure you know yeah i'm an editor i love to hear that we're that appreciated i love it oh it's fine (laughs) oh i i I notice and like you know and kathy always says like when i'm doing my job well no one will even notice it same thing with like a sound mix or whatever but sometimes an edit is so good you can't help but notice you're like god damn man they killed it in there (laughs) killed it i just saw this movie american animals and i was just like wow they killed it it's like a hybrid documentary uh narrative oh and uh yeah it's it's so well edited and they just do little things throughout that i'm like it just feels like finally someone's like taking this craft into another dimension it was a kind of a movie that didn't feel like anything else i've seen so i don't even know if it was good but it impressed me Hey, <laughs> as long as it impressed you, it had to be good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So right now we could be considered like the, uh, or the time frame we're in is an area of nonfiction, uh, let's say filmmaking instead of content. I'm growing to hate the word content, but nonfiction yeah. filmmaking and nonfiction storytelling uh, in a way that's never been seen uh, in media before. Mm. I'm wondering uh, what do you think is the future of that? And what are the challenges that those filmmakers are going to have to face? I mean, uh, the, the challenge now is like when, like when I came out, the, like the, the challenge was like, how do you pierce through? It seems insurmountable. There's just so few outlets to get your work seen. And now there's so many. Like I really benefited from um, the beginning of my career. Not a lot of people were just like putting out a film for the internet. And that, that's what it was for. And it's not hidden behind paywalls or sponsored by anybody yet. It's just there for the people so i benefited from there just not being a lot of people doing that so my work got a lot of attention but now so many people are doing so many dope things i wouldn't even know where to begin with trying to get somebody to uh, pay attention to your work so i i would tell people like the, the model we're we're doing now is you know kind of like everyone else is like how do you get people to kind of subscribe to you as an artist and you know that can be literally like like patreon or whatever but how do you get people to 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 care that no matter what it is you're making that they're going to check it out so i think it's it's as simple as being true as true to yourself as possible this is not the time uh, as a filmmaker to to try to copy something you've seen or you know follow in someone else's path it's there's so many paths that uh, like I said at the beginning of this, that I feel like the best thing you could do is just live a really interesting life and have your work reflect that as much as possible. And the more it doesn't seem like anyone else's stuff, the bigger chance you have to stand out and find the others. That because that, that that's what all our work is about. Like I said, it our main art project now is is community building because we've we've put these signals out there in the form of films and podcasts for so long, and we've been so true to ourselves that the other people that are like us are finding us. And it's inspiring us. Our community has become the muse. So to me, I'm serving something bigger and it really helps inform my art right now. Um, but I, I would say if, you, if you're true to yourself and you're making bold work that, that stands out and um, satisfies your soul, just keep doing it. It, it. You might not get the kind of numbers I was able to get at the beginning because no one can anymore. It's really tough. But if you stick with it, I feel like now's a better opportunity than even when I started out to get someone to be like, you know what, I'm subscribing to them beyond just Patreon, but like, I'm going to care when Sean puts something out, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to look for, I'm going to follow him on socials and, and make sure I'm up to date on whatever these guys are putting out because it invigorates my soul. So I think, uh, you know, that, that, that's the job of us artists is, is to help make sense of this place, help soften this world a little bit. And the people that are doing that are going to get recognized. It just might take a little bit more time and effort than it used to. And uh, real, real commitment, real commitment, not fly by night. Like, oh, I wanted to make a film or whatever. Like, I don't know. Anyone can make a film now. It seems like, like, can you make 10 films? Can you get, um, 
can you get a loyal audience? You know, can you get your work to spread naturally without you having to be a overt self promoter? Which I it just has always made me feel uncomfortable. I don't like promoting my work. I don't like. I, I feel like it's better found, and it's very exciting if you find something like our thing. But if I was out there saying, "Watch our movies, watch our movies, watch our movies," there's no way to do that anymore. You can't. There's so much flying around, and everyone has their little perfect little bubble of content that they consume. It's hard to pierce through to that thing. So you really have to be coming from a, from a true place in your own heart. And I, I do think when you do that and you show the universe that you're committed to something and you then that you're going to willing to keep working on it, that, that the audience comes and the, the financial stability and all the opportunities follow suit. Let's take a minute and talk a little bit more. Uh, Cause I want people to know more about the podcast and uh, the Church of Chill a little bit. Um, I know we talked about that a little bit in the beginning. Um, is there anything else that we need to know about? Is there anything else you'd like to like elaborate on and discuss? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the podcast is probably like that. To me, it's still filmmaking. It, it's, it's, all, it's still documentary. It's, it's the same thing. It's like our, our documentaries are, are us essentializing other people. And the, the podcast is us essentializing ourselves. So it, it started off as something that we just did between projects because the projects were so expensive and time consuming. And, you know, there's a lot of downtime between them. And it's like, how do we keep like feeling creatively fulfilled? So we started doing this podcast and interviewing people as kind of an extension of the films. And I don't know, just one thing led to another. Most episodes now are just are me and Cass talking about our journey as uh, psychonauts, people who take psychedelics and people who just kind of get out there and live a rock and roll lifestyle and we talk about art and we just uh, we try to stay positive and inspiring for people but not in a fake way we're we're willing to go to the shadows a lot of shadow work on our podcast so it's a good vibe we're just trying to keep the vibe high and tight with that and uh, yeah the podcast led to church of chill which is um, just an ongoing vibe that's the name of the community and that's our radio show and our Patreon is patreon.com slash church chill. So that's where people can kind of um, get everything that we're putting out. Even YouTube is becoming a little tyrannical. They demonetized us for, for talking about psychedelics. So, um, you know, the best, yeah, I know it's crazy. I'm like, you guys are paying attention to us. 500 people watch our thing. Like, please, why do you care? <laughs> you know, and this money could actually help us, you know, like what the fuck? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, we've had to move the operation over to Patreon, but that's where we found the real ones. The, you know, the people that really care, you know, sign up for our Patreon. They can pay any amount and they get access to the Church of Chill radio show, our Discord community, our, our bonus episodes of our podcast, stuff that we can't say on YouTube. So it's really fun. It's, uh, it's really fun. And um, yeah, it's just, it's one of the many artistic tools we're working with these days. And we want to take podcasting into an artistic dimension. And I think some people have gotten really good at it. And we're trying to do that. We're like seven years deep in this. So we're just plugging away. Beautiful. I mean, can you talk for a second about psychedelics? Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. What, what, what's the, what, because you, you said that kind of started with cam girls. You kind of, you made that brief mention when we were talking. Yeah. About yeah. We discovered um, mushrooms right before we started making that movie. We took mushrooms for the first time. And, uh, you know, it was one of those life changing experiences. It's a pretty quintessential psychedelic experience. I, I, knew, I was 32. I knew nothing about psychedelics or mushrooms or anything. I took them on a whim and, uh, you know, start meditating every day right after we took them, start meditating twice a day every day, being, uh, being better to my family, being better to my friends, stopped eating meat, stopped consuming dairy, stopped, you know, just really um, had, had the veil lifted and uh, chose to do something about it. And I think that's what psychedelics can do. They, they can change your, your, your lens you don't realize how long that lens has been on and how indoctrinated you've been and how programmed you've been by so many factors and these things just help strip that away temporarily and show you the high watermark for who you could be so you know the mushrooms mushrooms started it which then you know led to acid which led to dmt which led to ayahuasca and smoking toad and Oh man, God, all this, just so many, so many different psychedelic adventures, you know, like at least a psychedelic adventure once every couple months and starting to trip with people and using it therapeutically. And, um, 
it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, from time to time, you, you got to ask yourself, do I want to go through my whole life with the same lens? And I'm not the type of person that does because I'm not attached to my comforts. I'm not attached to you thinking I'm a filmmaker or thinking I'm good at this or thinking I'm a podcaster or even an artist. Like, I just, I just want to be me. So um, it really helped uh, for me develop some coping mechanisms, especially if I was going to become serious as an artist to um, have a better sense of who I am. Cause I feel like when you know who you are, the rest is static and you, you this, this crazy laser like focus comes over you and you're able to do what really feels to me like being um, in in line with my heart's path. So uh, yeah, I mean, people use psychedelics for all different kinds of reasons and I don't want to discount using them for fun or any drug for fun mm -hmm. you know it doesn't have to have such a purpose but for for us it's it's very meaningful it's a, it's a sacrament it's it's something that i feel like uh this this country the society we're living in is missing right now some some sort of boundary dissolving agent that allows you to see the world more compassionately and um so we honor those medicines and we take them and we work them into our practice and I think we're lucky enough to um, kind of operate outside of regular society. So we can kind of come out of the psychedelic closet, you know, we're white, we're, we're, you know, we've made a decent living for ourselves, and, you know, we're, we're kind of protected in a lot of ways that, that people aren't. So we can speak to this stuff and hopefully that gives other people when they hear us, gives them permission to take a similar step. And then that, that doesn't even mean psychedelics. It just means about, if you feel like you can't live like this anymore for one reason or another, honor that, listen to your heart and do what you got to do. So for, for me, that was like being better to my, the, the, my temple, my body, being better about more and more conscious about what I put into it and um, seeing people with more compassion, not having such a hairpin trigger with, with emotion and reactiveness. All all this stuff takes discipline, but um the psychedelic experience shows you uh, how it can be, how it can be when, when the ego is not running the show, when, when you can get into the heart space. And it's a very special thing. And so if you're intentional about using this stuff and, and you're safe and you get the right stuff, it's a, it's a miracle. It really is. I was shocked to find out how many uh, people with PTSD or other stress-related disorders uh, were using it as part of their therapy. Mm, and oh, to a yeah. certain degree, it's embraced by, uh, you know, shall we say, very silent yet supportive therapists. Yeah, um, well, they, they're in a delicate position with that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, also, but they're, also, yeah. they're also out of tools, you know, and I think that's why we're seeing therapists like that now, because they do want to help people, mm -hmm. but their tools aren't working. They're just tamping down. Um, the emotions that need to be felt and expressed and integrated. So there's no better tool for that than psychedelics. And I, I think they're realizing that and they're realizing they're safe. You know, I've interviewed the world's experts on microdosing and they say it's safe to do with any other, you could be on SSRIs and still safe um, microdosing and that um, it, it helps all kinds of things, even beyond depression, eating disorders, mm -hmm. smoking addiction, whatever it is, because it's bringing you back to that connected place. Cause all the eating disorder was, or the drug addiction or the smoking addiction was, was your way of coping, your way of, of uh, you know, a shield to help you protect you in this crazy thing. And these mushrooms will show you, you don't need those shields. You don't need, you know, the, the personality things or the bad habits to protect you from the world that like you're safe here and you're connected and it's a very grounding experience. So uh, yeah, highly recommend, highly recommend. Micro, microdosing mushrooms is just like, the, the guy that we interviewed for our podcast, that's the world expert on this, Dr. James Fadiman. He said this great line. He said, you don't have to be sick to get better. And, uh, man, Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Like you don't have to be sick to get better. So this, uh, we're not just talking about, I don't struggle with depression. I don't struggle with anxiety or anything like that. This just made my life better. It just helped introduce discipline and helped introduce a sense that like thoughts are swirling around all the time. They don't stop. But there's a way to train them. There's a way to kind of, there's, there's a way to calm it down and become less reactive. And it's by sitting with things and integrating them and, uh, you know, 
taking your medicine because life's life's giving it to you. So you're here, you're in school, you took form, you might as well take the curriculum. And the mushroom just showed me how to get down with that. And it's it just like, to me, in that way, it makes me love life. Like, this doesn't feel like a prison sentence anymore. Incredible. It's funny. Uh, just last thing I was going to say about mushrooms. Uh, I know somebody who uh, uh, suffered an injury. A, um, she's a weightlifter and um, she experienced this symptom, which what I believe if I'm, if I'm quoting this right, and she's probably listening and she's going to kill me because I'm going to screw it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she got a combination of a pinched nerve and her body's reaction to that was a muscle, not almost around the nerve as a protective uh, scenario. Mm. And uh, the pinched nerve healed, but the knotted muscle did not. And it caused her a great deal of pain until she, you know, did a dose of psilocybin one night, woke up the next morning, was completely gone. So there's yeah. this physical aspect to it, almost like a reset button, which uh, I just, I don't know if there is a lot of material to be read about that, but I'm certainly interested in knowing more. Well, I mean, and, and I, I'm so glad you just said that because our life is filled with stories like that, even more extreme. Someone, someone who's, who's a paraplegic who starts going in Peru to the jungle to take ayahuasca and all of a sudden they can walk again. Like, and, and if I didn't know these people, I wouldn't believe this kind of stuff, but Mm -hmm. what it, what it makes me, what it shows me is a lot of our ailments are, um, their responses to trauma and they're emotional and it's not an injury. And, and that's the whole thing. When you go into our healthcare system to try to deal with some of this stuff, they're, they're going to just really try to treat the symptom, but not treat the uh, emotional disconnection that caused that, that muscle tension that caused that thing. I just dealt with it this week. Uh, we went through an incredible mushroom ceremony about a week ago. And then I just spent the last week with my back completely stiff because it was like my, it was my ego and my muscles and my cellular memory holding on to those stories that the mushroom said, it's time to let those go. It's time to move on with your life. It's, it's time to be a big boy now. And it takes your body a second to adjust to that. And with any trauma, with any trauma, this stuff plays out. And sometimes it's extreme. Sometimes it's cancer or an autoimmune disorder or something. But, um, you know, if, if we don't move the energy, that's what happens in life. And that, that's why I think psychedelics are great because they just help move that energy. They help you move on to the better version of yourself. If you're using that as the intention. Sean, thank you so much for coming on today. I hope to have you back at some point. Oh, I hope to be back. That would be great. And yeah, we'll have some drinks together. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, Sean. You can find more of Sean at veryape.tv, where you can also check out Church of Chill, their podcast, and contribute to their Patreon. For this episode and more, please head to drinkingwithcreatives.com, and please support us there on our Patreon. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your preferred platform. My name is Jeremy Berger. I hope you're well, and we'll see you next time.